Last Sunday, we began a new series on the Lord's Prayer entitled, The 57 Words That Changed the World. And in that first message, I suggested that the Lord's Prayer is not only a God-given and proven, powerful way that we can connect with God, but it is also a very helpful way for us to think about life and what matters to Him and how things ultimately work. Additionally, I suggested that the uh, instruction that we receive from Christ Himself, encouraging us to address the holy, righteous Creator of everything, everywhere, as Father, Abba Father, was shocking and revolutionary and not a little encouraging to us as we recognize that we have a Father's love. And we saw that there was just lots of theological significance to both the words our and Father. I then ended the message by giving you a two-prong challenge. The first part of the challenge was to do something, right? To take some next step. to to walk closer to Christ, to sign up for Alpha, get in a small group, decide you're going to serve, something where you are intentionally setting out to become more like Christ. And then the second part of the challenge was that you pray this prayer on an ongoing basis. Right, that it become a part of the cadence of your life every day. It was a, it's a relatively small ask on my part that you make praying the Lord's Prayer something you do every day. I have been doing it four or five times a day and finding it just a, a remarkably powerful way to stop and think about what matters. Well, today we're going to see more reasons to take next steps and to pray the Lord's Prayer as we focus on heaven. And just so that I am painfully obvious with the point that I'm trying to get uh, across today, I am going to start with my concluding statement, which I will come back at and give you at the end, and I will hammer home throughout the course of the message. So, so that it's clear, my, my call to you, the invitation to you, the pleading with you is that you decide to cultivate an eternal perspective that you pledge to work towards becoming heavenly-minded. Please do not worry that you might become too heavenly-minded to be any earthly good. First of all, I'm not certain that uh, we have been charged with that any time recently. But secondly, it's not even the way things work. Those people who are captured by God, those people who who recognize that they have dual citizenship, right? That, that, That they're citizens of earth, but already we are citizens of heaven. Those people who believe that they are going to live forever, right? That this world is not our home, we're just passing through. People who have that perspective, that this life is short, but eternity is not, they live and love and serve and give in such a way that they are very helpful here. They're not too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. They're the only ones that actually are any earthly good. A a woman who is is pregnant and looking forward to to time that she is going to spend with her child doesn't discount the present, doesn't say what's happening now doesn't matter. In fact, it's a completely opposite perspective. Everything that happens now matters because I'm going to live forever. 
People who have that understanding of life end up valuing the things that God values. They end up serving people, end up being stewards of creation, end up being remarkably good on earth. And so for that reason and other reasons, I am going to plead with you to, to proactively cultivate an eternal perspective to be heavenly minded. And, and we come at this honestly because, of course, um, it's part of the Lord's Prayer. Right? Two occasions we pray, Our Father who art in heaven, and then a little bit later on we, we pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, two of the 57 words that change the world are the same word. It's heaven. Now, just in the margins, let me note that there's a little uh, bit of theological discussion as to exactly why Christ qualifies our Father with the statement in heaven. Some suggest that, that he does this because we need to distinguish between our heavenly and our earthly Father. So in heaven is a, you know, sort of the postal address for God to be sure the prayers get to the right place. Others suggest that this is added in order to, to uh, sort of provide some uh, reverence and awe that might otherwise be missing as we address the Holy Creator as Abba Father. And there's a third group that says that when we pray our Father who art in heaven, we're actually essentially saying our Father who is present with us right now. See, there's, there's a, almost uh, ten different words that get translated out of the Hebrew and Greek into the English word uh, vocabulary as heaven. And, and heaven actually in Scripture gets used three different ways. The, the first way it is used is to refer to the atmosphere around us. Heaven is the place where birds and airplanes fly. A second way that heaven is used is to refer to stellar space. Heaven is where the stars are. They exist in the heavens. And then the third way, the highest heaven, the, the third level of heaven as Paul talks about it, this heaven is where the throne room of God is. And so some say that, that when we pray our Father in heaven, we're actually using it in the first sense. Our Father who is everywhere. Our Father who is near to us. Well, I, I've never thought of it that way and don't actually think that's the point that's being made here, although it's a true point. Right? I mean, God is omnipresent. He is near to us. In fact, if we come to faith in Christ, we are, we are filled, we are indwelled by the Spirit of God. But I, I, I tend to think of this being a reference to the place where God manifests his presence most fully and finally. The throne room of God, where an infinite God reveals himself infinitely, where we will see him face to face. So just as, again, in the margins, let me note that there's a little bit of discussion and confusion as to exactly what this passage means. But clearly, we are being reminded of heaven here. And clearly, we need to be reminded of heaven because um, I think some people, if they were being completely honest, would admit that they think about um, you know, changing the oil in their car or furnace filters more often than they think about heaven. I hear a hundred times more about people's vacations uh, they're looking forward to than I hear about people looking forward to heaven. And and I think, you know, it's 
given a choice between heaven and hell, we'll, we'll all raise our hands for heaven, but given a choice between heaven and earth, that, that's, we're a little bit conflicted. And, and while there is actually a biblical precedent for choosing earth over heaven, uh, Paul does. In Philippians 1, he says, you know, to live is Christ and to die is gain, and I'm not exactly sure how to choose. You know, I, I know that, that uh, to be present with Christ is much better Right, to die, to depart, and to be with God, that is much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And I'm hard-pressed. I have a desire to go in both directions. And Paul will ultimately sort of indicate that he wants to stick around because there's more work to be done. But that's very different. Choosing to say, I don't want to go to heaven now because although I long for heaven and I dream of heaven and that's where I want to be, I want to stay here to keep serving and to see if I can't take more people with me. That's very different than saying, you know, I'm sort of, I like what's going on right now and I'm not really looking forward. I don't think about it. I mean, we tend to think that this is the land of the living and, and then we're going somehow to the land of the dying. No, that's exactly backwards. This is the land of the dying. We get to go to the land of the living. We leave the shadow lands. We go to glory. Heaven is heaven. I mean, heaven is where we were created. It is where God's will is done. And it's where we need to want to be. And so, for those uh, two reasons, I want to put a few points about heaven before you before I issue another challenge. What do we know about heaven? Well, four points. First of all, we know that it's a real place. Heaven is not a a state of mind. Heaven is not a metaphor. Uh, With all due respect to Field of Dreams, heaven is not Iowa. Uh, Heaven is not uh, a mystical, magical, ethereal, never-never land that's here, that's there, it's nowhere. No, Heaven is a real place. Just think about what we're told. We're promised that at the time of our death, our soul goes to be with God. And our body goes into the ground. But at some later point, at the end of the age, there is a physical resurrection and we are given a new heavenly body that is actually a physical body though transformed right christ rose physically from the grave the body was gone the tomb was empty and then later on he appears to to the apostles and he appears to others and although they don't immediately recognize him his body has been changed and he appears to have some some abilities that that far eclipse what we have here you know walls and distance don't seem to be a problem for him he has a physical body he eats food they can touch him And, and then he ascends into heaven with a physical body where he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. Heaven is a real place. In a book uh, entitled Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Heaven But Were Afraid to Ask, uh, philosopher and theologian Peter Kreeft writes, in this book I will be capitalizing the H in heaven for the same reason I capitalized the C in Chicago and the T in Timbuktu. That is because they're real places. He says, as a matter of fact, 
heaven is more real than Chicago. Which is a little bit interesting that he lives in Boston and he's picking on us. But the point is worth making. He says, heaven is more real than Chicago because in a million years there will not be a Chicago, but there will be a heaven. Heaven is not a state of mind. It's not a metaphor. It is a real place. Point number two. Heaven exceeds our expectations and imagination. It is majestic. It is awesome. It is is beyond our understanding. It is wonderful. But when you look at Scripture, when you read through the Bible, and, and in particular the book of Revelation, Revelation 21 is perhaps the longest section, but when you look at these places that, that talk about heaven, you see that, that part of what the writers tell us is that it's, they, they make a contrast between heaven and earth just saying heaven always wins. Okay? There are no tears in heaven right? because there's no suffering and there's no pain. We're told that heaven is, is a place, it's described in such a way that you go, it's, it's safe and, and sort of wonderfully, not, uh, not in, a, in an oppressive way, but it's wonderfully orderly. It, it's not the kind of threatening chaos that has characterized life for most people throughout most of human existence. Heaven is a place, we're told, that is clean and beautiful. There, there's no places of squalor. You know, every town has a dump, right? I mean, every, there, there's a sewer system. Every, every place you go, there are, there are places that are bad. No, not in heaven. We're told that it is a place of abundant food, splendid clothing, delightful music, and running water. Um, luxuries or necessities that in some cases are denied to many people even today. We're told in some scripture that heaven is a place of sweet smells. And I I always didn't really think to appreciate that. And then one writer says, uh, you know, a lot of of Westerners don't really appreciate this idea of sweet smells because they're not stopping to think about what medieval Europe probably smelled like. You go, oh yeah, I... My youngest son is uh, on the freshman football team. We're in a carpool, so, you know, once every five or six days, we pick up six high school students just after three, two, three hours of football practice. I'm here to tell you, I mean, they get in the van, and you're just like, oh, guys, this is horrible. I'm going to have to air out the car for the whole week. So we're told all these wonderful ways in which heaven is better than where we are now. Now, clearly, the language that's being employed here, much of it is symbolic. And about a month ago, I, I preached about hell, and I made the same case there. I said, I don't believe that hell is a lake of fire. And I said, the reason I don't believe that is because when you look at all the, the, the descriptions we get of hell, mostly from Christ, you can't put them all together. Right? I mean, we're told in Jude that hell is black as darkness, but you've also got this fire uh, image. Well, fire gives off light, fire, light, black as darkness. You can't put this together clearly. What we're being told is it's as bad as you can imagine. In fact, the writer slips into hyperbole because they can't describe it. Well, we go the opposite direction this time. 
So we have metaphors, we have language, symbolic language, that is saying it's better than you can imagine. In Revelation chapter 21, 21, we read, The great street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass. Now, you know, those of us who have uh, wedding rings on or some piece of gold, you can glance down at that and you will notice that um, it's not transparent. You can't see through the gold. But we're told that the gold, it's, it's gold-like transparent glass. Well, here's the issue. John gets, gets given this vision of heaven, called up, and he sees things that, that, that he's then expected to try and describe. And we don't have words for it. We don't have the ability for him to describe it. At the time that he's writing, glass, you know, windows were a luxury. About the only the only place that you would find windows were in the courts of the kings and so he is writing and he's saying it the the street right i mean that we normally have dirt or concrete or asphalt the streets are are like gold and you can see through them and you go but that doesn't work no it's symbolic language he's saying it's better than you can imagine I, i suspect that part of the reason we're not told more about heaven than we are is because, uh, first of all, we're expected to live by faith, not by sight. Secondly, we would likely worship heaven, and heaven is not a place to worship. Heaven is heaven mostly, chiefly because Christ is there, right? I mean, what we celebrate is the coronation of the king and the banquet and the fact that there's no light, but there's no darkness or shadows there because the glory of Christ fills the place. I suspect if if we knew more about heaven, we would be very depressed about being here and we would, we would shift our focus in the wrong directions. But I try to keep expectations in check generally because it just works better for life if you're not always disappointed with what goes on. What we're essentially told is that we cannot imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. A third very significant point about heaven is that it's not just that heaven is wonderful, it's that we are made wonderful. If I, if I were uh, called up to heaven right now, essentially what we're told, and, and we see this throughout Scripture, as broken, fallen, sinful people, meeting God is not, not just a glorious thing. It's a terrifying thing. It's, it's too good. He's too pure. We can't comprehend it. And, 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 and we often don't even like the things that we're supposed to like. And I don't know about you, but I personally, if, if I was given the choice of living forever as I am, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to sign up for that. I mean, I, I seriously, I am getting tired of hurting the people I love, of disappointing people who count on me, of being selfish, of being stuck in some of the same patterns. I don't want that. I don't want eternity of that. What is exciting about about heaven is that it's not just that heaven is wonderful, but he who began a good work in us will have completed it at that point. We will not just be justified, we will have been sanctified and glorified. The the hold that sin has on us is gone, and we become who we were created to be before we have been marred and, and destroyed by sin. 
That is exciting. Heaven is not just a wonderful place. We become wonderful people. And then the fourth point I feel required to say to you is that it will not be boring. It is clearly a uh, satanic triumph of the first order that I would even have to make this point. But, but in fact, uh, we believe the spin that suggests that sin is somehow good and going to bring pleasure and fulfill us. <laughs> and we don't believe when God tells us that heaven is going to be wonderful. And some of that is because we have really sort of anemic images of heaven. The popular images, you know, you, you get your harp and your halo and your own cloud and, and you're off for the next million years and then there's a thousand year church service and, you know, that's sort of all you got to look forward to and we go, I'm, I'm having a hard time imagining that being uh, an eternity of that. But a lot of that imagery actually is informed more by Dante and John Milton in the, the Divine Comedy in Paradise Lost where, where the, those writers are going back to the, the garden and not looking at Scripture which actually suggests that we're not headed back to a garden, we're headed to a city. And it's a city that's full of activity. There's all kinds of things going on. We have, a, we have responsibilities. We have service to render. We're, we're, not, we're not told that we're going to be bored. Everything we learn suggests the exact opposite. I, I, was, um, I was reading one uh, writer this week, a guy by the name of John Stackhouse, who's a professor of theology at Regent College in Vancouver, and he wrote an article called Harley's in Heaven. And he said that uh, he reluctantly gave up his Harley after, his, uh, after he and his wife began to have children because she persuaded him that it just was, it was irresponsible for him to have this motorcycle. He reluctantly gave it up, but he says, I gave it up with the assurance that in heaven I will get my Harley back. <laughs> he says, that or something better. And he says, I've always sort of had my eye on the uh, speeders that they rode around in Star Wars. So he says, I'm thinking that I get a motorcycle or uh, jet planes or something because those are the things that I believe I will need in order for life to be complete. Now, I, I think it's a little reckless, uh, you know, writing about Harley uh, Davidson's in heaven, but, but reckless in the right way. The promises are, are that... Uh, life will be at its fullest. And the things that, that need to be in place for that to happen will be given to us. Well, there's a whole lot more that could be and should be said about heaven. We get wonderful imagery by Christ in John 14 about heaven being the new Jerusalem and, and all that you sort of unpack about that. It's the place you want to be. It's home. It's perfect. We got, we got discussions that come in Scripture about what it's like in heaven and, and the rewards that come to those who are faithful and serve in heaven. Some people, I think, have this idea that we're all going to be generically the same and all sort of at the same level. No, I, I think that what Scripture suggests is that we'll, we'll all be equal in terms of, of dignity and value as we are here, but, but wonderfully different in 
wonderful ways and that there will be rewards in heaven. And there's all manner of questions that come up. Perhaps the most common one I get asked is, will we, will we know each other in heaven? Absolutely. I mean, first of all, we, we just turned to Luke 16 and, and argue that from Scripture. I love the answer George MacDonald gave when he was asked, will we know each other in heaven? And the, to the person he says, uh, do you think we will be bigger fools there than we are now? Or Chriswell's response is he says, we don't ever really know each other until we get to heaven. There's lots of discussions to be had about this topic, but I want to come back to my main point. We need to cultivate a heavenly mindset. We need to live today in light of forever. We need to think about heaven. So, well, what, what, what's so fascinating about heaven? Everything. I would submit to you that something is interesting or significant based on the consequences, right? That's why preseason football games get old in a hurry, but championship games are exciting because the stakes are higher. Well, what are the stakes when we're talking about eternity? I mean, long after the things that you're worried about right now are gone, long after your job is gone, your company is gone, long after the deal you're working on now is gone, long after whatever your headaches are right now are gone, long after this sun burns up all its hydrogen and the solar system plunges into heat death, long after all of that, heaven remains. What's so fascinating or important about heaven? Everything We need to live today in light of the fact that we're going to live forever. When we start to think that way, we bend our will in all the right directions. We love people. We we value the things that God values. We seek to, to embrace God's will on earth as it will be in heaven because we recognize our citizenship in heaven and what we are being invited into and called to and what we will value when we get there. We need to cultivate an eternal perspective. And so I I end with two questions, really. The first one is what are you doing to cultivate an eternal perspective? What are you doing today to live in light of forever. How, how can you do that, think that way? What do you need to change? What things do you need to weave into your day, your week, that help you think that way? It's not a 24-7. It's not that we got to constantly be thinking about heaven, but a lot more than we are. And I would simply point out that one of the things that we can do is Pray the Lord's Prayer and not gloss over the word heaven as it comes up. And then the second thing, the second question I'll ask, and with this I close, I simply have to ask you if you are confident that you're going there. I I don't want to suggest that uh, heaven is the default uh, response, the destination for everyone, because that's not what Christ says. Christ says quite the opposite, that the road to heaven is a narrow path and the road to destruction is broad. And, And those people, unless Christ is deluded, those people that get to go to heaven and be with God are those people who pass through Christ, those people who embrace Christ 
who recognize him for what he claimed to be, the Son of God, Savior of the world. And so I just have to remind you that that's the way it works. I, I heard a story this past week, uh, someone knocked on the door of a pastor who had just moved into town, and he says, uh, tell me, I'm, I'm curious, are you one of those pastors who happens to believe that only the members of his church are going to go to heaven? And the pastor thought for a second, and he says, well, you know what? Um, actually, I'm even a little bit more narrow-minded than that because I'm quite sure that some of the people who go to my church are not going to heaven. And I just have to say, we got no sense that what's going on at Christ Church has a monopoly. We are a local congregation. There is a universal church. There's lots of other great churches out there. We have no thought that, that what we're doing is unique. But we do have a thought. I do believe that there are people who go through the motions who have yet to embrace Christ. And so the question I set before you is, do you know for sure that you'll go to heaven? And if you don't have an answer to that question, I will make my plea one final time. Sign up for Alpha this day and show up Tuesday nights for the next eight weeks. I'm teaching for skeptics and seekers I'm going to be teaching an eight-week class. It starts with dinner, 30-minute presentation, discussion. Sign up for Alpha. This is a question you need to get resolved. Would you please stand with me, and we will pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.